It's me, Dan, from Harmontown. You can hear episodes of our show and 30 others before anyone else on TuneIn First Play. The TuneIn app is a free mobile audio app available across iOS, Android, and Windows. Podcast superfans get even more from their favorite shows. For four weeks, new episodes of Harmontown will be available a full 24 hours early, exclusively on TuneIn. Podcasts will release their new episodes early, including feral audio shows like Drinky Fun Time, Dome People Town, and Natural. Butte. Tune in is also full of content like live sports, news, music, and audiobooks. Get the next episode of Harmontown right now at the TuneIn app at tunein.com slash Harmontown. PRA, Public Radio America. You're smarter already. This week on You're Welcome, our children are being exposed to more violent media than ever. Who do we have to beat down to make sure this senseless violence comes to an end? Field reporter Chartreuse Beljar reports from an actual, literal field, interviewing a farmer on his farm in a small town in Illinois. I haven't heard of it, you probably haven't either. BBC affiliate Austin Bronte brings us news about a government initiative to apologize for cricket. What specifically are they apologizing for? And should we accept the apology or be total pricks about it? Plus, joining us in the studio today, an indie filmmaker whose new film has award season hype spreading like wildfire. But not a literal wildfire, obviously, because that would be reckless and cost us acres of precious non-renewable resources. All of this and more today on... You're Welcome! Welcome to Your Welcome. I'm Stefan-Straitman, and what do you mean you haven't read Siddhartha yet? How old are you? Today's top story, violence is never the answer, unless the question is, what is never the answer? In which case, the answer is violence. But these days, America's children are giving violence as the answer to questions like, what's way cool? What rocks? What should we be exposed to all the time in our media? What makes movies seem sexier to my demographic? How do I get that car I want in this video game simulation activity I'm playing? Parents have long operated under the assumption that video games were responsible, even-keeled representations of daily life. That, if you wanted a car in a video game, you wouldn't steal it. You'd take out a loan, get extra bonus points if you have good credit, and if you wear a tie to the bank. Then you drive the car off the lot and begin a long and arduous process of paying off the car and the loan back to the bank, both with interest. And eventually you'd hit a pothole that the city neglected to repair and you'd have to pay hundreds of dollars out of pocket for new tires and alignment. But no, in a video game, you use force and violence to steal the car. You drive it over the speed limit, and if you need an oil change, Rather than taking it in, you simply set it on fire. Are these the messages we want to send our children? The answer to that question is certainly not violence, because that answer would be a non-sequitur. That would make no sense. The impact of violence in media young people are consuming cannot be overstated. Time and time again, we've seen troubled young people watch a violent movie on DVD, and at some point in the following years, walk into a gun store, receive a deadly firearm mere days later with cursory screening for mental health, or in many cases, and 40 out of 50 states, purchase a gun through a private sale from a vendor without a federal license, with no background check whatsoever involved, and use that firearm at will against perceived enemies with terrifying and tragic results. The clear problem, then, 
is how incredibly easy it is for that troubled young person to simply walk into a store and buy that DVD. So where do we trace the problem with impressionable youths and their exposure to violent media? Video games are increasingly violent, but they're also carefully rated and evaluated by a mysterious board somewhere. Movies are rated not only for violent content, but also equally dangerous depictions of things like smoking and crude humor and sci-fi violence. Can you imagine what would happen if a teenager got their hands on a laser? Television has never been better, so no problem with violence there. Comic books are read almost exclusively by adults. Nobody reads regular books anymore unless they're being seen reading them in a coffee shop or on public transit. And I haven't heard anything about violent music in a while, so that's probably going fine. No, to trace violence in children's media back to the source. To truly grab this weed by the stem and yank its roots out of our young people's mushy brains. We have to follow a winding, multicolored trail all the way back to the start. And yes, sometimes at the risk of losing a turn. I'm talking, of course, about board games. Statistics would probably illustrate that 90% of America's children have ready access to the graphically violent and unspeakably amoral board game, Clue. For those of you lucky enough to have avoided this game's influence, Clue concerns a group of philanthropists, socialites, and hedonists who convene at an upper-class residence. One of these people murders their host in cold blood, and you, the player, have to determine which one did it by reliving this monstrous event vicariously, over and over, obsessing on details, and immersing yourself in this deadly zeitgeist until you, too, carry the dangerous capacity for violence. The game romanticizes weapons ranging from handguns and daggers to common household items like wrenches and candlesticks. Consider the implications of that for a moment. Every household in the country has at least one candlestick. Hell, they're often sold in sets. Do we want to plant the dangerous and deadly potential for weaponized candlesticks in the fertile psyches of children? There's even less of a screening process for candlesticks. There is no age restriction on purchasing candlesticks. They're not even on TSA watch lists. In the interest of protecting our children, a federal investigation into board games has sprung up and a bill proposed to restrict, if not outright ban, all access to board games. The bill informally called the Don't Roll the Dice on America's Youth Act, has earned unanimous support from both parties. Democratic Congressman Ernest Durkel said in a press release, Finally, the easy solution to preventing all violent behavior we always knew was waiting to be discovered. We look forward to unplugging this live wire, and the peaceful utopia it shall bring for our children, our children's children, and if global warming hasn't rendered the human race sterile from radioactive exposure, their children too. Republican Congressman Howie St. Clair was heard in a press conference held over drinks at a steakhouse. If those expletive board game making sons of expletives try to get their filth anywhere near my little Howie Jr., I swear to Christ I'll blow their devil worshipping heads clean off. Due to appear before Congress this week are the perpetrators of Clue, as well as the board game Snakes and Ladders, which equates dangerous venomous animals to playthings and disregards the most basic ladder safety protocol. And Candyland, a game that has been labeled, and I quote here, Nutritional Terrorism. But first, today the authors of the game Sorry are appearing to defend the sincerity of their game, which the bill insists uses the word sorry flippantly and sarcastically. 
If these creators are found guilty of deliberately imparting dangerous messages and violent imagery to children, they could be sentenced to a federal penitentiary, though many in the board game industry are being enticed to testify against their contemporaries in exchange for a get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, joining us as always is our intrepid field reporter, Chartreuse Beljar. Hello, Chartreuse. Hi, hi. Hello to you. Violence in board games. Mm. The worst thing or the ultimate all-time worst thing ever? Well, I will say that uh, there's been a time or two that I've wanted to, you know, knock a candlestick against your head, but thankfully, thankfully we don't have a billiards room in our studio. No, and I also made very sure that all candlesticks were confiscated mm. and kept in a very heavily guarded lockbox. Thank God. What about the Ouija board? Ouija. The Ouija. Ouija. Ouija board. Oh, I, I can see where you're getting confused. Ouija. I, can, I see exactly where you're getting confused. Well, it's Chartreuse. confusing how to it's pronounce pr it. It's pronounced Ouija. It's a native word to a foreign country. Regardless... I feel like that game stirs up some potential witchcraft. Potential in that it is witchcraft? That it is. Happens. Okay, potential, I'll take that away. Yes, it is witchcraft. It is witchcraft. Also, I want to bring up uh, real quick, Don't Wake Daddy. Now that's a violent game and really stirs up some weird domestic stuff between, you know, fathers, sons, daughters. It's a game that trivializes domestic abuse. Also, Night Terrors? I think it's... it's, it's Oh, I see. You sympathize with the father. Yeah, mm -hmm. those kids are the worst. Yes. I, this man is trying so hard to, to... sleep. He just wants to provide for his family. There's no sign of a mother also, so he's probably a single dad trying to get some sleep, and he cannot because someone keeps slamming the refrigerator, the dog keeps barking... The kids slip on their socks and knock over a jar of marbles. And he's probably dreaming at night about his wife, who is gone. Precisely. What do you think happened to her? Is she okay? I think uh, she was playing along with the kids. I think that was a game that she taught the kids. And she one day decided to step on a roller skate, and she went down a flight of stairs. And by a flight, I mean more than four. So this is yet another example of the casual, glamorous depiction of violence in board games. Mm. Mm. It's disgusting. It is about time that our government stepped in to make sure that our children are not exposed to these things. Speaking of games, a game that we love to play in public radio is the beloved old-time standard game, Where's the Segway? Where's the Segway? Where's the Segway? Where's the Segway? Ooh, oh, where is the segue? It's right here. Oh, so you are interviewing someone today. Yes, here's an interview um, I conducted yesterday in Illinois with a farmer, Nicholas Wilkins. It's pronounced Illinois. Hello, Nicholas. Thank you for having me. Um, and also, thank you for not opening your gate. Um, that was a challenge, both physically and mentally, and I think I got a bit of a calf workout really getting above that giant gate of yours. Well, I, I apologize for that, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on the program. Really happy to be here. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. This is a beautiful farm. Now, what exactly do you farm here? Uh, this is a potato farm. Hmm, so does that mean uh, there's also corn or kale? Please uh, tell me there's uh, kale. No, no, there's there's no kale. I'm sorry. There, it's it's just potatoes here. It's, it's monoculture uh, exclusively. So what you're saying is there's no eggs? There's... There's For no there to other... be eggs, there would have to be hens and roosters, and uh, it's strictly uh, horticulture. There's there's no um, there's no animals here. Would you still call this a farm then? Yeah, yes, it is a farm. Uh, we do we produce uh, uh, a lot of potatoes here, and um, uh, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. It, what, I just what would felt, it be? Uh, honestly, if there's no kale, no eggs, no corn. I don't know if I would call this a farm. Well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree there. Okay. Okay, for now. All right, now, I have a question. Uh, exactly uh, how many pairs of overalls do you own as a, quote, farmer? Overalls, the... The jean, uh, the denim onesie? It's I'm... very comfortable. You, you latch it at the top of... I'm sorry, we're, I thought we were going to discuss uh, sustainable Farmers. farming. farming. Mm-hmm. And in, in order to properly farm, you need the proper outerwear. outerwear. Yeah, yes and no. I, I just, I, I wear work clothes, really, just any. Does that include flannel? No, no, I, I don't do flannel. I really, uh, what, about what I wanted just to... white shirts that are kind of soiled a bit? Bare they, feet. They do. They do get soiled with pesticides, which is one of the things that I was hoping to bring up. Actually, uh, mm. I feel like uh, mm. modern farming has become mm. far too dependent on all of these chemicals, and uh, we chemicals, really need to. Yeah, yeah we mm-hmm. need to return back to uh, original uh, crop rotations, just to as, as kind of a natural pesticide. Oh, okay, natural. Natural. I have a, a natural related question. Um, Exactly how often do you chew a piece of hay in your mouth? And are there health benefits to chewing a piece of hay, just having it dangling, or does it act as floss? I'm just curious, because I've seen a lot of pictures. I'm sorry. And farmers generally have a piece of hay or straw dangling out of your mouth. And now, you don't have one right now. I assume that's it's something that's done private. By, by any chance, you, you wouldn't be referencing old McDonald, would you? E-I-E-I-O. And on that farm, he only has potatoes. That's bullshit. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I misunderstood the purpose of this interview. I have a question for you. Um, what do you think of the online dating website, FarmersOnly.com? For farmers to date. Uh, I... Well, I, I wasn't planning on talking about my personal life. Are you I, single? I have to admit... That I, wasn't a come on. I, I am single. But are you single? I um, am currently. Have yeah. you thought about Farmers Only? I gave it uh, a shot recently. Oh. Um, yes. Did you meet up with another, quote-unquote, farmer? Well, I don't know how to say this, but um, farmers are actually capable of dating outside of the farming community. Um that defeats the purpose of the website that's farmers only in fact the tagline says city folks just don't get it so i think it's 
Well, you're you're right. They they don't necessarily uh, all get it, but um, I consider myself. Do you think I get it? Folk. You you seem to get something. Um, maybe not necessarily me or farming mm. or human beings in general. I'm sensing a lot of negativity through this interview, and it's mostly because of those potatoes. So. I'm going to hike myself up and over this giant gate and mosey on down the street until I can pick up a signal on my phone and find a local match on FarmersOnly.com and snag myself a date while I'm in Illinois. I can really open the gate for you. It's no problem. You don't have to jump over it. Metaphorically or literally? Because that would be great. No, just, uh, I I think just the literally. I'm going to open the gate so you can leave And that I can crawl over a ladder, up a ladder. I'm going to leave. Stunning slice of life journalism there, Chartreuse. I really feel like you got some heart out of that guy. Thank you. Follow-up question for you. You're on FarmersOnly.com. I did immediately get matched up with Nicholas Wilkins. It was very awkward. Extraordinarily awkward. Are you going to try Farmers Only? Online dating does not work. It is a scam. It is a myth. It is completely without merit. And it is an enormous waste of everyone's time, not only including me. But you'd be willing. Absolutely. Hmm. Thank you very much, Chartreuse Beljar, ladies and gentlemen. Intrusive and exclusive. Chartreusive. I thought you left. PRA and Your Welcome World News are brought to you today by The moment when someone asks you if you've seen a movie and you respond by bringing up an earlier, more obscure movie by that same director because you'd rather talk about that. Yes, I have seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Have you seen Tromeo and Juliet? Oh, you simply must see Tromeo and Juliet. Let me describe the movie to you for ten minutes, or until you walk away. And by The Word Twee. What does that word mean? Nobody knows, but we use it every day. And by mason jars. Are you tired of using glasses as glasses? Would you like your kitchen to resemble a post-apocalyptic wasteland where you're just taking relics of a bygone era, using them as things that remind you of the way life was before the big one? Mason jars. Why the hell not? Joining us now, as always, is BBC correspondent Austin Bronte. Austin, are you there? Yes, Stephen, I am here, loud and clear. Fantastic. How are you doing on this fine and beautiful day or night or whatever it is in England? Well, uh, as you know, Stephen, it is always middle of the day overcast here in England, and uh, I would say I'm doing quite, quite dreary. Well, that's always good to hear, old friend. Now, what have you got for us in the way of news from beyond the ocean? Well, Stephen, a bit of a head-scratcher here. Cricket has accidentally been revealed as a joke on Americans. Cricket? Yes, cricket. That's that funny, sort of incomprehensible British sport. Yes, the phenomenon, uh, second only to soccer in terms of global appeal, cricket. Fascinating. Uh, so you're so you're saying this is a joke. You mean like this is like metaphorically meant as some sort of humorous reveal or Yes, it was 
The British government was today facing a diplomatic crisis with America after Prime Minister David Cameron blew a 200-year-old in-joke that cricket was an invented sport intended to humiliate the former colonies in America. Uh, now, uh, as you may well know, uh, cricket does share some similarities with baseball. America's pastime. Yes, America's <clears throat> pastime. Yes. Uh, but so here are some of the rules uh, of cricket. Please. Everyone wears white, including the umpire. Does that include after Labor Day? Yes, uh, included after your Labor Day. Preposterous. The entire thing is preposterous, if you ask me. Everyone stops for tea at four in the afternoon. Also, bowling methods were given purposefully ridiculous names, including the googly, the leg break, and the flipper. Ridiculous, hysterical, truly an in-joke that should have stayed in. Uh, now, chairman of the English Cricketing Council, Sir Hammond Salmon, was quoted as saying, We realize the game is up. What's really amazing is that our cousins across the pond didn't catch on earlier. I mean, googly? Seriously? In our own defense, we always suspected that something was enormously wrong with this game. Uh, we just assumed, not erroneously, that British people have a tendency to commit to enormously strange things for inordinate amount of time. Yes, uh, judging by your American comedies, we across the pond have always felt that uh, Americans weren't too quick to get the British humor. Perhaps not, uh, although I will say I just rewatched When Harry Met Sally yesterday, and boy, does that film hold up. Ah, yes, William Crystal and Megan Ryan, two of our very favorite film stars uh, from the 80s, 90s, and not so much in the aughts. Perhaps not. Uh, also, so sorry to correct you, it's now Sir William Crystal. Oh! Yes, he was knighted by Comedy Central at their annual Comedy Awards last year. So, Austin, now that the jig is up and the joke is revealed, uh, will English people continue to play this ridiculous game? Probably, Stephen. As you know, we Brits love to commit. And I don't see anyone going back on something they've come to love just because it was made to make fun of some silly Americans. Fascinating. So now that the joke has become tradition, tradition has clearly become the overarching priority. As is always the way, Stephen. Outstanding. Now, Austin, uh, what other news do you have from England? I understand that there's some sort of development going on with the world's newest sausage. Yes, yes. England's newest sausage is set to be auctioned. Now, Brits love their bangers. Bangers and mash, banger pie, banger pudding. Well, the newest sausage in history has been discovered. Dates back to yesterday. Just it, yesterday. Just yesterday, wow. yes. It's been auctioned to raise money to plug the leaky bridge of Longshank, another banger sausage, and is expected to raise upwards of 200 pounds, enough to seal that leak and give the seal a bit of a polish. Now, the flavor of this new sausage has been described as meaty, substantial, and not without its merits, already placing it at the height of British cuisine. The sausage has yet to be named, though. 
The honor of naming England's newest sausage will go to the winner of the auction. World-renowned sausage collector and the aficionado Burton Crinkle has serious intent of winning the sausage and, rumor has it, will name the sausage after his least favorite cousin, Helena Mustard. The auction house, Flickwick of London, is under heavy guard tonight, with London's famous ornamental security detail, the Beef Eaters, temporarily reassigned as sausage watchers. Fascinating. In-depth, informative, somewhat disgusting. Oh. Austin Bronte, thank you very much for joining us, and as always, we'll have to take your word for it. Stephen, thank you for having me. Austin, you can hang up now. Now, joining us in the studio... A little-known indie filmmaker has found instant stardom by utilizing crowdfunding to entirely fund his new drama, all $400 million of the budget. His drama, called Here is Where We Are Here, is a film that he wrote, produced, directed, starred in, edited, and co-starred in himself. For those of you unfamiliar with the term, crowdfunding is a bit like panhandling, except you can do it from a comfortable chair in an air-conditioned room. Here now to talk about his film and his successful campaign, filmmaker Topher Hawk. Welcome, Topher. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Oh, it's the least I could do. Now, Topher, you have set a new record for crowdfunding, $400 million for your film. It seems like an extraordinary amount of money to people who don't understand the filmmaking process. Could you uh, guide people through it a little bit? Well, certainly. You know, I, I think what really happened here is that uh, the, the audience of independent filmmaking has spoken, and they've uh, expressed the type of movies that they're interested in seeing, and I'm, I'm very grateful to them uh, for the uh, really excessive amount of money. I think our budget was slightly larger than Iron Man 3's, uh, and for just such a, a small dramedy film, we were really able to put those dollars uh, where they mattered, uh, and it was a huge help to us. So, how much was the budget in your initial goal? I mean, how much money were you asking for? We set out for the standard uh, SAG Ultra Low, uh, which is uh, around two hundred thousand um, dollars, and then uh, the popularity—it just it exploded. Uh, we really didn't expect it. And where did that popularity come from? I mean, who were the primary donors for this film? Well, I'd rather not go into a tremendous amount of details, but I will say uh, that, um, well, I guess what I should really do is just say thank you to uh, both of my parents. Fascinating. Very, very instrumental. Good advice for people who are looking to do some crowdfunding. What can you tell us about your film? It's called, um, let me double check my notes, um, Now is the Place We Have Come To. Yeah, uh, here is where we are here. Uh, it was really something that I was trying to break new ground, and it's um, I'm not being racist when I say this. There, there are people, uh, people who have ethnicity in their lives. Um, they they have their own struggles to kind of attach to and 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 make them their own. But um, yes, everyone knows that the best way to not sound racist is by starting a sentence with the phrase "I'm not trying to sound racist." Yeah, it's it's not racist at all. But uh, certainly so, not. So what we struck out to do here is really capture the identity crisis of having no struggle, really the lack of struggle, of uh, really just a, a middle-aged white man, which coincidentally happens to be what You. Yes, it's me. Fascinating. Well, the character portrayed by me is similar in some ways to me, in yes. that he is white. 
Yes, absolutely. So you're saying essentially you have invested $400 million into a drama that is about how certain people have lives that don't have very much drama in them. Uh, it, yes, it's a, it's a much more uh, subtle, nuanced uh, piece, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to hear what the critics have uh, to say about it. I hope they enjoy it. Well, I have some reviews here, actually, uh, since you are asking. Um, Jonathan Witz of the Wichita Herald Good Morning has this to say about home is what the where we are. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Um, he says, oh, no. Why? Oh, God. See, now here's, here's uh, a critic that seems really... Done. Oh, okay, sir. Oh, God, no. Oh, please. 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 Yeah. And then, asterisk, splash. And then an obituary for Jonathan Witz. Now, this is a person that seems to really understand what we were going for here. He he latched on to the, the kind of internal emptiness and, and took it into his life. It certainly seemed to have an effect on him, yes. You know, that's that's all I'm looking to do as a filmmaker and an artist and creator, really, is to just uh, connect with my audience. So to be able to do that, uh, well, it's, it's just something magical. Yes, I think it's safe to say you made the ultimate connection with this reviewer. Ultimate in the Webster's Dictionary definition as being the last ever. Very impressive indeed. Uh, I believe you brought a clip with you today, is that correct? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, this is a, a clip where... Uh, well, I, I don't want to set it up too much, but basically I'm going through some struggles and my, my dad is there to help me. That sounds extraordinary, and let's roll the clip. Son, you come from a long line, a history of proud white tradition. And you can't sit here in front of me and question where you come from because then it questions everything that I've done up to this point. Dad, maybe that's what we need to be doing. Just questioning everything. Throughout history, we have been the ones to prevail against all hardship. We have conquered civilization after civilization. We have been the ones. But those that were beneath us, to put them in chains where they belonged. Maybe I want to take my own turn being in the chains, Dad. Think of your brother. Scotty. There's a lot of years between us. We're brothers, and it doesn't feel like... Sometimes you feel like my dad. I'm your brother. Sometimes I don't know where to get advice from. Is it from dad? Is it from you? What if I don't feel feelings? Why... Why do people say when they're sad that they're blue, but then when I look at the sky, which is blue, I feel happiness? Why? Johnny, all the happiness you need, right in here. I just took a rock out of my nose. That was a clip from the new film from filmmaker Topher Hawk. Now the home is what the where is here. Um... A couple of questions for you. Uh, a very enlightening clip. Is this a film about white power? Well, obviously, Stephen, uh, we, we aim to be politically correct uh, only to a certain extent. Uh, at, a, at a certain point, art needs to uh, 
sort of transcend uh, these descriptions. So you can call it white power, but I like to think of it as expression. You expressed in your description of this film that it's a film about the struggles of a upper-middle-class white male and how sometimes it's difficult to be that. But your father in that clip seems to have very specific words in mind about ethnicities, about social Darwinism, about some sort of manifest destiny in mind for white people. Yeah, it was a, it was a very special uh, character. Uh, he meant a lot to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, writing him, uh, I felt more... I felt closer to that character than I did to the one that I was portraying, actually. That's pretty telling. Uh, would you say that character is based on anyone? Well, I don't want to go into too much details, but again, I would just like to thank my parents. Boy, that's a lot of money for this film. You brought a second clip that is only the father talking, is that right? Yeah, we really wanted to give uh, just like the, the monologue a chance to play, and I, I think it's what most of the audience really attaches to. Yes, on this clip you wrote manifesto and then crossed it out and wrote monologue above it. Which I think is uh, a that, fascinating. That was, that was a mistake. A fascinating artistic choice. Um, here now is the second clip from Topher Hawk's new film, uh, "Why Are You?" And here is why we went. Jews. All right, I'm going to stop the clip there. Um, fascinating insight into thank you, thank you. the artistic process for you. Um, would you say that this is a film intended for a wide audience? It's intended for everyone. It's intended for the world, really. That's what frightens me. Do you think it... Uh, well, I mean, we're, here we are. It's, it's due to be released this weekend. I, the, the producers told me to plug that. It's coming out this weekend, so make sure you check it out. Now, uh, any, any final artistic remarks that you'd like to make, uh, either about this film or towards all of the donors, all two of them, to your film about the struggles of white people, where is why we went? Well, just, um, I, I guess all I can say really is uh, see the movie and um, white power. Okay, you need to leave now. Thank you very much. That was filmmaker Topher Hawk live in the studio. You can see his film, Here is Where We Went and Are We Here, online at several highly regarded torrents for pirated material. Thank you all very much for listening. That just about wraps up your Welcome World News for this week. But first, we're right all the time, with the small exception being when we aren't. So here's our retractions from last week's show. The crime rate in Detroit should be more specific than daily, the sandwich franchise, Subway, got its name from the underground mode of transit and not the other way around. Pork is not vegan. Housing a Christmas tree is not technically against the law, while breaking into a house to liberate a Christmas tree is, quoting Wichita Chief of Police Harold Mantle, very against the law. A quick update on the ongoing Public Radio America fundraiser, where up to 1.3% of our goal at the $10 level, Chartreuse Belljar recommends donors bands that they've already heard of, while she assumes that they have not. Thank you for listening, or at least having us on in the background while you drive. And special thanks as always to research assistants Eric Stoles, Madeline Wager, and Jeremy Simon, 
along with interns Tim Adwell and Levi Petrie, and in-studio carpet vacuumer Zane Grant. I'm Stefan Hyphen-Straitman saying, we're right all the time so you don't have to be. Thank you, and you're welcome. Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. <laughs> the NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.